0: Foss Corporation, LLC. Welcome to the Mansion on the Hill. This is the home of Terry's serious moments. Stories of oddness, of weirdness. Of nature gone strange, this is season four. We thank you for coming along for the ride. Hope you enjoy it. Good evening, everybody. This is Terry from Texas. This show will air after Memorial Day, but tonight, as I record it, it's Memorial Day Eve, so I'm going to do some military mysteries in honor of the holiday. I've mentioned the Alamo numerous times, and here's another one. With the history of the fort that was a mission, deaths occurred there over a wide range of time. Natives of San Antonio de Bejar, Indians who converted to Christianity, priests, monks, and then the martyrs for the Texican cause of independence from Mexico. Who wouldn't expect an active spirit life on that plot of land? By the way, we're in the tail end of a woolly booger of a thunderstorm, so you may hear thunder in the background. The first reported sighting of ghostly activity happened only weeks after the Battle of the Alamo. When Santa Ana left San Antonio, he moved about 1,500 of his troops to San Jacinto, or San Jacinto for the purists, near today's Houston. He left about a thousand of his men at San Antonio to control the rebels. However, Santa Ana was captured at San Jacinto by Sam Houston and his Texican freedom fighters in April of 1836. More Correctly, April 21st of 1836. In retaliation, and I somewhat question that phrase, Santa Ana sent messengers to order the total destruction of the Alamo. However, his wish would not come true, as when the Mexican troops neared the church with flaming torches, six fully formed spirits suddenly appeared before the front doors of the mission, waving blazing sabers and yelling, Don't touch the Alamo. Do not touch these walls. The Mexicans fled in fear and would not be persuaded to return, regardless of threats made by their superiors. Some say these entities were the Alamo defenders still protecting the mission. When Colonel Sanchez, who was tasked with leading the destruction of the mission, reported back to General Andrade, He recounted the tale of six Diablos, or devils, coming out of the front doors. The general only scoffed, thinking the story ludicrous. However, not one of the men of the first task force would return to the Alamo. Frustrated but undaunted, the general then gathered another group of men and returned to the Alamo, determined to burn the long barracks. Again, the building was saved from destruction when a tall male spirit arose from the roof of the building. The entity, standing above the Mexican soldiers, was said to have held two flaming balls of fire in its outstretched hands. At this abnormal sight, the soldiers fell to their knees and covered their eyes, at which point the soldados dropped their tacos and split. The Mexicans refused to return, and for the next 10 years, the Alamo lay in ruins. In 1846, following Texas' annexation into the United States, the U.S. Army began to occupy the complex, making significant repairs to the church and the old barracks. By the late 19th century, the tales of ghostly happenings at the Alamo were well known in the area. However, this did not stop the city of San Antonio, as little does, in its move to utilize the old mission as a police headquarters and the old barracks as a jail. Within no time, prisoners housed in the barracks started to complain of paranormal activities. Between the years of 1894 and 1897, a number of articles appeared in the San Antonio Express News describing ghostly sentries that paced along the roof of the police station, shadows and moaning sounds heard by the staff and prisoners, and other ghostly phenomena. Guards and watchmen began to refuse to patrol the building after hours. This, of course, caused an uproar among the politicians, and a short time later, the police and prisoners were moved to another location. In time, Stories became solidified by numerous stories about what people saw at the Alamo. Reports of troops marching around the Alamo, sentries on the walls, and the poignant spirits of a man and boy, perhaps his son, at daybreak on top of the wall, at the rear of the chapel, who stand together, then fall from the parapet to assumed deaths below. Is this not a place where spirits should reside or appear? If you ask most people about Foo Fighters, they'll assume that you're talking about modern music. However, that's not the case here. Before the term Foo Fighters became associated with 90s alternative rock, it was a term that was used to describe one of the most baffling military mysteries in World War II. During World War II, night flyers from the United States and Britain would see brightly glowing lights hovering in the sky. They often assumed that they were Russian or German aircraft, until they would do impossible twists and turns and then zip off at impossible speeds. Unable to figure out what the lights were or who piloted the strange crafts, soldiers gave them the nickname of Foo Fighters. To date, the military has never figured out what those crafts were. This may sound like science fiction, but records show that there were literally hundreds of such reports. In fact, written reports exist showing that pilots had gotten into dogfights with them. So, what were Foo Fighters, and why has no one ever come forth about being responsible for the strange flying crafts? In the 1950s, very few people had a military career as impressive as Paul Whipkey's. The lieutenant had held a very high position at the United States Air Force Base in California and was even offered a special seat to witness some of the first atomic bomb tests. Then, things changed. Whipke began to act increasingly strange and was regularly seen talking to two unknown men in suits while on the base. He started to become increasingly paranoid and agitated day after day. More notably, the mystery men he'd speak to made him incredibly tense. One could blame it on the stressors of being a military member, but this wasn't just a mental illness. Something was terribly, terribly wrong. By 1957, his body had started to deteriorate in a bizarre way. He began to catch colds on a regular basis. All his teeth fell out, strange black moles began to grow in his body, and he lost weight. On July 10th of 1957, Wipke told People that he would be going out to visit his friends in Monterey, California, but he never made it there. Over the course of the next couple of days, Strange sightings started to happen. One person claimed they saw military personnel driving Whipkey's car without the lieutenant being present. The army immediately cleaned out his apartment the day he vanished and within a month labeled him a deserter. It took around eight months before the army was willing to search for him. The strangeness continued long after his alleged desertion. In 1977, all files involving Whitkey were destroyed. Years later, he was labeled killed in action instead of being a deserter. This remains one of the most chilling military mysteries out there, simply because you have to wonder what the government was hiding. And more worryingly, why would the army do that to one of their own people? The Vietnam War was one that was filled with chaos of the highest order, and to a point, also had some of the spookiest ambiance on the battlefield, thanks to the ghost tapes that would be played to strike fear into the hearts of the Viet Cong warriors. The weird moaning of the tapes isn't the only potential paranormal thing about the war worth mentioning. Both American and Vietnamese troops regularly reported run-ins with a group of strange, hairy, humanoid creatures. These creatures were known to locals as Ngoi Rung. The soldiers called them rock apes. Didn't know what else to call them. These apes were known for having orange hair, ape-like features, and aggressively throwing rocks at soldiers. Now, to be honest, the soldiers threw the first rock. This happened when a group of soldiers went out on a mission and apparently set up an ambush and they were all facing out from the center of a circle. And they started hearing moving in the brush thinking it was gonna be the VC. This ape-like creature stepped out and come to find out they were surrounded by these apes. Well, they tossed rocks to try to get these apes to leave them alone. The apes got mad and threw the rocks back. The problem with apes coming out of the forest in Vietnam is, Vietnam has no known apes at all. When the Bigfoot craze was taking off here in the States, these apes were compared to all known Bigfoot intelligence, all information about Bigfoot. Aside from being covered with hair and having similar looking footprints, although smaller, That's where the similarities end. The Vietnamese critter was smaller, more man-sized. They were violent. The bodily destruction of a VC fighter having been attributed to them and that they were known rock throwers. Another strange creature that had been allegedly spotted was a snake that measured around 100 feet in length with a head that measured around three feet wide. This was reported by an American soldier who would later be told that what he saw was a creature known as a bull eater in Vietnam lore. The jungles of Vietnam are very thick and for the most part, undisturbed. Could it be that the soldiers may have found some cryptids in their midst? Or is this just another one of the more baffling military mysteries that's really just pure fiction? When the American Revolution started, soldiers, quickly began to get injured and hurt. In the still growing town of Easton, Pennsylvania, this led to a hospital being erected. Throughout the revolution, Easton's hospital treated soldiers and did work as a place to house criminals deemed unfit for social integration. Obviously, with 18th century medicine being pretty terrible, this meant that countless people died at the hospital over the years. And you must remember that the American Revolution was about a 13-year war, give or take. As centuries progressed, very few medical records remained intact from those times. And with that being said, there were a lot of deaths that were undoubtedly tied to the hospital. Okay, that makes sense, right? So far, so good. Well. What makes this one of the more bizarre military mysteries is the fact that no one knows where the dead are buried. Somewhere in or around Easton, it's assumed that a mass grave exists with Revolutionary War soldiers' bodies. The mass grave has never been found and no one knows where it could be, making it one of the stranger unsolved mysteries in America's history. The fog of war always leads to chaos and violence no matter where or when it falls. This inevitably leads to confusion, opening things up for mysteries which may never be solved. Close to Bermuda in October of 1986, the Soviet submarine K219 was unexpectedly thrown into chaos. The torpedo room had been punctured and water began pouring into the vessel. This damaged the shell casing of a torpedo, which exploded. Finally, k 219 was able to surface after one crew member gave his life to get the damaged engine shut off. In the end, four crew members in all perished in the chaos. Once on the surface, the captain of the sub opened the hatch to inspect the outside of his ship he found two massive and distinct scratch marks along the side of the submarine, which undoubtedly caused the leak. The problem was that the K219 had not run into anything during its voyage. When top brass in Moscow heard about the incident, they wrote it off as a collision with an American sub, which must have also been in the area. One problem. There were no American submarines in that area. It was not until 2010 when a former Russian naval officer, a Captain Nikolai Tushin, revealed that K-219 made radar contact with an unidentified object that was dubbed a quacker because it admitted a sound which sounded like a very raspy quack. Captain Tushin believes That is what collided with the submarine and caused the destruction. But the question remains, what was the quacker? Who was Private Kane? In 1918, Private John Kane enlisted with the 543rd Engineer Service Battalion. In June of the following year, Private Kane was discharged. Nobody knows why he was discharged after only serving a short year and nine years later, he passed away. Given his service, his mother, Adeline Howard, applied with the War Department to have a military headstone placed on her son's unmarked grave in Lee Cemetery in Portsmouth, Virginia. According to records, this was approved in 1931, and the headstone was shipped off. And this is where the mystery comes into play and only gets deeper. The headstone never made it to Virginia despite the Vermont Marble Company having a record of having made the memorial. It was not until 2014 this headstone was discovered at a residence in Halifax County, North Carolina, where it apparently had been sitting for 20 years. Now, between 1931 and 2014 Is a little bit more than 20 years, so what happened in the intervening years, who knows? With the headstone located, it was time to put it in its proper place in Lincoln Cemetery. Lincoln Cemetery has no record of a John Kane buried on their grounds. And even stranger, records are inconsistent as to if his army unit even existed to begin with. A Downed Bomber As with other armed conflicts of the modern era, pilots during the Vietnam War often reported seeing strange crafts in the sky with them. Sometimes these mysterious objects would mirror their movements or mess with their instruments. Allegedly, one even caused a tragic friendly fire incident between US and Australian forces on the HMAS Hobart. In 1970, a Boeing B-52, apparently came into confrontation with one of these UFOs only to be met with tragic results. Green Beret captain William English was charged with finding the B-52 that had gone down. It was last reported to have come in contact with an aircraft which did not show up on radar while flying over Laos before all transmission cut out. English and a dozen elite special forces soldiers when searching for the plane, and what they found horrified them. Judging by the outside, the B-52 had gone down completely intact. The only damage was to the bottom where it skidded. Inside, however, the entire crew were dead in a horribly violent fashion, still buckled into their positions. When Captain English told his superiors what he discovered, he was quickly shuffled away into a desk job far away from Vietnam. Later, he found that the rest of his men were killed in battle, leaving him as the sole witness to this strange scene of brutality. The Morbach Monster, the German town of Wittlich, has a legend about a creature who prowls their region. As the tale goes, a deserter of the Napoleonic Wars named Thomas Johannes Baptiste Schweitzer murdered a husband and wife so that he could keep them from giving away his whereabouts. As she died, the wife placed a curse on the cowardly soldier, turning him into a wolf-like monster, dubbed the Morbach Monster. This was a fun story a couple of centuries, but when the Cold War began, as the United States placed the Han Air Base near Witlik in 1951, Outsiders learned of the legend in the worst possible way. In research collected by the University of Pittsburgh and the University of Mainz, they discovered different accounts of soldiers stationed at Han who reported seeing a bipedal, dog-like creature. Tracker dogs were sent out into the woods to find this strange creature, but once the dogs got whiff of the trail, they would become visibly terrified and refused to further pursue. One account from two MPs claimed that they saw the Morbach monster when investigating a perimeter breach and watched the creature leap over a fence and vanish into the woods. The official story was that it was the wild hog population which was startling servicemen, but as one airman told anthropologist Matthias Burgard during his research, that he grew up on a farm and what he saw stalking him in the woods one night was not a hog. Over the decades, the soldiers on the base have come to embrace the legend of the monster, even dubbing their football team the Morbach Monsters. The UB-65 During World War I, the German U-boat UB-65 suffered an explosion on board shortly before it set sail. Although many were injured, it was only an officer named Richter who died. Once the ship was patched up, it set out to sea. Along the way, crew members would claim to see Richter in brief glimpses around the vessel. Oftentimes, he was seen standing on the deck, as if keeping a lookout. Reports of the haunting got to be so much that a clergyman was brought on board to bless the ship, though that apparently did not work as well as they would have hoped because when the UB-65 was sunk by an American ship near Ireland, witnesses claimed to see a mysterious man standing on the deck, seemingly unfazed by everything around him. Forward Operating Base Salerno, Afghanistan The two soldiers had heard stories about a ghost that was supposed to haunt the guard towers overlooking a graveyard on the outskirts of the base. But after two weeks of duty in one of the towers without seeing anything, the two specialists, Painter and Jackson, were skeptical. When they heard a laugh over the radio, it was shrill, almost painful, and according to them, could only have been made by a little girl. No grown man in the army could have made it, said Painter, who was 23. Painter and Jackson, who were paratroopers with the 2nd Battalion of the 504th Parachute Infantry Regiment, called the other guard towers to see whether other soldiers had heard the laugh. They suspected their buddies were playing a practical joke, but no one had heard it. It brought to mind the stories they had heard about the haunted tower. The story around the base was that two marines were in the tower one night when they saw an Afghan girl and her pet goat walking on the road. When they took off their night vision goggles, she wasn't there. When they put their goggles back on, the girl was standing on the balcony of their tower. Both men ran down the stairs. The rumor is that they refused to return to that car tower, even if it meant they would be punished. The night after hearing the laugh, Painter and Jackson were back in the tower. They were tired, and more than a little jumpy. A few hours into the shift, the ghost was back. Both paratroopers said they could feel something moving behind them, and every once in a while it sounded like someone stepped on the trap door, leading to the tower's middle level. The temperature in the tower dropped a few degrees, they said. Both men said they were huddled in the corner next to the radio. Are you moving? One would ask the other when he heard something. No, were you? And then another tower called. The soldiers there said they were detecting a three-foot tall form walking around the bottom of the tower that Jackson and Painter were in. The soldiers told Jackson and Painter that it looked like it was waving. Reluctantly, Jackson said, he went to investigate. I walked around the whole balcony and I didn't see anything, he said. Both paratroopers were anxious for their shift to be over, and with less than an hour to go, a call came over the radio. Their relief was going to be late, maybe by as much as two hours. The paratroopers cursed their luck and continued to scan the horizon. Their shift ended without any other incidents. That night, you could just feel it, Painter said. Jackson said there were no jokes that night. The ghost story is a legend around Base Salerno. Almost all of the paratroopers know at least one version, especially the one where the marines refused to return to the tower. According to some versions, the marines are in tears. The story has made it back to the United States. Both soldiers told their families about it. Painter's family told him they wouldn't go back to the tower. Jackson's father told him not to make the ghost angry. Jackson, who said he believed in ghosts before he deployed to Afghanistan, doesn't think the ghost is harmful. I don't feel threatened, said Jackson, who's 24. It was just having fun. Ghosts. Strange things. Who can say what's normal in a time of war, or in a place ravaged by war, or in a time of chaos where hell holds sway? Who knows? Well, that's the show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Be with me next week as we come back with another story or another group of stories for Terry's Mysterious Moments. I want to remind you that on Mondays, Aaron Hunter brings you Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast, which is listener stories that Aaron tells, mostly ghost stories. On Tuesdays, we have Aaron Frail with Aaron's Horror Show where he reviews horror movies, different books, uh, things that he's written. Wednesdays, it's me, Terry's Mysterious Moments, with me, Terry from Texas, where we cover just about anything you can think of. We also have video productions on the first Friday of the month from Full Dark Productions, from The Witching Hour, and from Unexplained Cases also remember that you can go to your app store whether you have an apple or an android you can go to your app store look for the rpa app it's a black square with a blue eye right in the middle of it you can't miss it and you can download that app install it into the device you listen to the programs on and that way you will not have to go looking for the programs they'll be right there do that It'll be a lot easier for you to get to the stories. That's about it. I hope everybody has a good week. Thanks for being here. Bye-bye.